Well, hey, it is, uh, it is good to see you this morning. Uh, many of you know my name is Mike, and I'm on staff here at Refuge, and it is my joy and just an honor and pleasure to get to bring the word this morning. We're going to be uh, jumping back into our series in Hebrews. If you were with us before the Christmas season, you know that we've been walking through the book of Hebrews. So we're going to pick up right where we left off in, uh, in chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles with you, whether it's a hard copy or a digital one, go ahead and get those out. Um, Hebrews is towards the back of the Bible. Uh, if you need help finding it, there's a table of contents in the front. And if you need a Bible, there should be one in the pew back in front of you. That's what they're there for. And while you're turning there again to Hebrews chapter 10, let me just take a moment and welcome you in. And whether this is your first or second time with us, or maybe this is just your first or second time uh, coming to church and you saw uh, something on a Christmas service, or maybe one of those He Gets Us commercials or something to that nature, or, or maybe there's just something else that's compelling you, urging you to uh, go to church and explore faith and, and God and Jesus. Um, or maybe you've been walking with God for quite some time and you've been with us for a little bit. Uh, we are just delighted that you, you took some time to be here this morning with us. We hope that you find this to be a sacred place for growth and purpose. Um, and so this morning, uh, we're just going to look at what it says, uh, what the Word says, talk about that a little bit, and then see how that maybe applies to our lives today. And with that, I'd like to turn our attention to chapter 10, verse 1. And it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, once having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. And then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The leaves wither and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this time to just come before you and study your word and, and see what it is that you have for us today. God, I just ask and pray that you would meet us in this place. God, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand exactly what it is that you have for us today. God, that we would take whatever that is and we would treasure it in our hearts. And God, anything that is of me, God, that we wouldn't remember a moment of. But God, whatever it is that you have for us here in this moment, 
God, would you allow us to hear it? Would you allow us to take it? Would you allow it to take root and plant in our hearts? God, we thank you for your grace and your mercies that are new every single morning. We ask and pray for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are back in Hebrews, and I know that we have spent quite a bit of time in this, but we took a couple weeks off for Christmas, so it might be good to just get a little bit of a refresher, right? Who was Hebrews written to? Why was it written? So it was written to a group of Christians in Rome, specifically Jewish Christians, uh, and to some Gentiles, which is just another way of saying a non-ethnic Jew. And it was written to them specifically with the purpose to, to remind them or, or, or to encourage them to resist the temptation to go back to that old covenant and the sacrificial system. Because in doing so, they, they would be abandoning faith in Jesus. Now, why, why is that important? Well, we just walked through the Christmas season where we celebrate the birth of Christ. But we celebrate this because there is good news of Jesus. Right? We believe that, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he lived a perfect life, and, and that he uh, paid the ultimate price, fulfilling the law as a sacrifice. He was crucified, he was dead and buried, but on that third day he did rise again. And when he rose, he was seen by a couple hundred people. And then he ascended into heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God the Father, and every tongue will confess and knee will bow down because Jesus Christ is Lord. And the author of Hebrews has been taking us through the last nine chapters, establishing the personhood of Christ, establishing why we can essentially just trust in the work of Jesus, why we can see him as that good and the ultimate high priest, how, how he has done and completed all of this work. And now in chapter 10, we find ourselves at, at essentially kind of the, the crux of this argument where he's been building up and, and now saying we can trust the work of Jesus and the things that he's done. Like a good lawyer, towards the end of his argument before the jury, he is laying out all the facts and we find ourselves in verse 1. And he says this, he says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, right? It's a shadow of the good things to come. Now, I'm assuming you don't need me to stand up here with some clever illustration about what a shadow is, right? We know what a shadow is. It's, it's when light is cast onto an object and then we see the, the imprint of that object, right, in, in, in a shadow. But that shadow is just an outline. It's just something that is pointing back to the good things. It's something that's pointing back to something that's greater, something that has a lot more detail and nuance to it, something that, that a shadow could never possibly show you all the, different, uh, all the different nuances of. And notice it's a shadow of the what things, of the, the good things, not the bad things, not the oppressive things, not just things, but of the good things to come. It's showing you something greater that's coming. So it, it, it's a shadow of these realities, and it can never, what can never, the law can never, by these same sacrifices that are continually offered, it can never do what? It can never make you perfect. And so here we have the, the author of Hebrews essentially uh, establishing the, what their position is, Right? saying that this, this old covenant can't make you perfect through those sacrifices. And, and, and he's talking about the relationship now between the old covenant and the new covenant. He's talking about the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament is another way to say that. Testament is just another word for covenant. And so when we, when we read the Old Testament, we can see the story of Israel through the, the old covenant. 
And now in the, in the New Testament, we see the, the, the new covenant and that narrative. And at first, it kind of seems like they're, they're maybe opposed to one another. But I think what we're going to see is when we look at the old covenant sacrificial system through the lens of Christ, what we actually see is that they, 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 they work together. And that old covenant... And that sacrificial system within, as the author of Hebrews says here in verse 1, is a shadow that's pointing to the new covenant. And now what he's saying is that sacrificial system, it can't make you perfect. No matter how hard you try, no matter the amount of effort that you put into keeping it, it can't actually make you perfect. And he goes on and he makes a good argument and says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, they being the sacrifices? If that could make you perfect... Wouldn't those things, those sacrifices, wouldn't they have stopped being offering? Because once people are, are perfect, well, then they're not sinful. And if there's no sin, there's no need for the sacrifices. Think about that, right? This is, this is a powerful statement. This is, this is a, a, a compelling argument, and there's reason and logic to it if we walk through it, if we think through it. And so, if those sacrifices can't make you perfect, why do we have them? Look at verse 3. He says this. He says, but in these sacrifices, there's what? There's a reminder of sins. There's a reminder of of the sins and, 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 and a reminder of the penalty of sins. But the reality is it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. While they might bring forgiveness in that moment, it's like a symptom in a disease. It can't actually heal the disease, but it might help the symptom here for a moment. And in, in, in this old covenant sacrificial system, it can't actually make you perfect. It can't change your heart. Michael J. Kruger makes this observation too. He says, nowhere did anyone say that you're fine as you are, and if you just work hard enough, you can get to heaven. No, the message was repeatedly, you are not okay. You have a sin problem and blood needs to be shed on your behalf. And so when they're making these sacrifices, when, when, when they're getting into the actual purpose of it, it's a reminder that as Paul says, the wages of sin is death, which God said long before Paul ever wrote that on a page. He said, if you go and you do this your own way and you walk in sin, it only reaps death. Something has to, has to pay the penalty. And those sacrifices, they, they may have addressed the symptom in that moment, but it wasn't getting at the disease. It wasn't actually getting at the heart. But that's interesting because isn't God the one who said to make the sacrifices? Isn't he the one that walked through and, and said, this is what you should do? Yes, but that's not necessarily what he desired. Again, look at the text. It says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, who said it? Jesus said it. It's sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. He's talking about God here, right? You have not desired these things. This wasn't your plan. This wasn't what you had whenever you created this creation and the purpose that, that, that you had for your creation. He said, but a body have you prepared for me. And then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. This is what you desired, that I would do your will that I would submit to you, that I would walk with you, which is another way of saying that I would obey. I've come to do your will. I have come to obey, to walk with you as you have ordained. And when he said above, again, Christ, right, you, you've neither desired these sacrifices and offerings, 
or taken pleasure in them. And then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He, Christ, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. So the first here that he's talking about is that old covenant sacrificial system. He's saying that is done. But remember, it's a shadow of the good things to come. It's all pointing to something greater. And the new covenant system, with the, which is the second, that new covenant with Christ, atoning sacrifice, is what Christ has now instituted. And we don't have to come anymore with these sacrifices and, and, and try to make amends. But when we look at it through the lens of Christ and what he's done, we can see that it's all pointing to him and to his work. How do we know this? Again, look at the text. By that will, we have been what? We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This is huge. This is a beautiful verse. Hebrews 10.10, we have been sanctified. That word sanctified means to be made holy. It means to to be purified. It means to to, to actually have that disease now taken away. It's not just the symptom, but, but your heart can be changed. You can be sanctified. You can be made holy. Now, if you've been around church before or studied the Bible at all, you might be familiar with that word holy. Sometimes we sing it in our songs. What that word means is to be set apart, but in the Old Covenant, there were, there were almost these degrees of separation. There, was, there were these, these degrees where you, you had unclean, you had clean, you had holy, and then you had holy. Right? Here's what that looks like. You had unclean, right? It's, this is to put it as an oversimplification. You had unclean. You had the outsider. You had someone that was, that was in sin. You had clean, which was uh, the insider. And, and, and they might have been forgiven again uh, and, and made the sacrifices in order to be made clean, but their heart still hadn't been changed. It hadn't been purified. You had holy, which was a designation for the priests, the prophets, and the kings. They were kind of their own tier. They were, they were set apart. They had a different anointing. And then you had holy or most holy, which was a designation for God. In fact, even within the community of Israel, Pastor Dan, when he was going through uh, Hebrews a couple weeks ago, he talked about when the high priest would go into the holy of holies, into that most holy place. And that is where the presence of God was. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was most holy. But only God was most holy. And that room was so separated that the high priest, if he, had, if he had gone through all the ritual cleansing one time a year, he was able to go into that room, but only if he had actually abided by that old covenant sacrificial system and done everything exactly to the letter of law could he come out alive. That holy place was for God. It was different than any other of these categories. And now the other interesting thing is that any time something that was clean would come near or touch something that was unclean, immediately just by proximity, that clean thing became unclean. What's interesting is as Dane Ortland observes, he says, but when Jesus, the clean one, touched an unclean sinner, Christ did not become unclean. No, the sinner became clean. Think about that. We've been sanctified once and for all. We have been made holy. That's what that word means. When Christ was crucified, and then we sing and we hear how the veil was torn in the temple, 
That veil was separating the Holy of Holies from everywhere else. No longer could only the high priest go in one time a year. But now God's presence was accessible to all through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Israel's prescribed holiness was a shadow of the coming holiness. Do you see the difference between holy and most holy? Do you see the difference in that capital H, holiness, that that sanctification and how that's different in this new covenant as opposed to the old covenant? What's interesting is I really like, there's there's a preacher that I've heard before. And he goes all the time, he says, you're still not getting it. And he just kicks a dead horse. And that's kind of what I see the author of Hebrews doing here a little bit in these next verses. He says, I see you're still not getting it. Let me go on. And he says, in every priest, they stand daily at their service, offering repeatedly what? The same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Right? And this, I know right now we're reading this in 2023. But when this was written, the temple was still standing. These these early Christians, these converted Jews that have grown up in the midst of all of this system, they could walk down the street and they could see this still happening at the temple. They could see people still bringing their offerings, still offering different things, trying to become right with God, not seeing it through the lens of Christ. But, circle that word. I don't care if it's your Bible or one of our Bibles. We can buy more, right? But... When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. When Christ had offered for all time one single sacrifice for sins. What did he do? He sat down. He sat down. It's not like, again, going to the temple and seeing the priest constantly offering one offering. And then another. 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 Christ sat down after one Single offering after one single sacrifice. You don't sit when the work still needs to be done. He sat down. He doesn't wake up every single day to be crucified again and again and again and again. He did it one time and it was enough. For by a single offering, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being what? Sanctified. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Well, wait a minute. I thought in verse 10 it said that we already were. That's interesting, right? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. To put it simply, there's this, this idea of already not yet where we've already been sanctified, but we're still being sanctified, which is a little bit confusing. It's kind of, it goes around in a circle a little bit. The simplest way to put it is that when, when God looks at me, specifically my righteousness, and the righteousness of those who have put their faith in Jesus, he already sees the righteousness of Christ. Even though I am still in this sinful and oh-so-broken world, and I still fall into sin, He still sees the righteousness of Christ because of the faith that I've put in Jesus. And there is a coming day that for me has not happened yet when I will have that realized in my mind, in my heart, in my life, with my new body, in the new heavens and the new earth. I will have that realized sanctification, that that removal of the heart and Christ has changed our hearts. 
We've been sanctified. We've been made holy. That designation that was just for God. So how does this apply to our lives? Right? I don't know about you. I don't know what you're coming in here with. So I'm not going to talk about you. I'm not going to talk about or try to project anything onto you. I'm just going to talk about me for a moment if that's all right. But there's moments whenever I think, or rather moments whenever I know that I'm still trying to prove something to God or maybe to myself or maybe my friends or my family or whoever it is, for whatever it is, I'm trying to to earn something in my life. Even moments when I'll go to God in prayer and, and, and I'll talk and I'll be like, Jesus, I need you in this mess over here. I need you in these three things. But all of this, I got this. I'm good enough. I can do this. Right? Let me show you how good that I am. But friends, sometimes it's looking at the old covenant sacrificial system through the lens of me and not the lens of Christ. When we look at it through the lens of Christ, what we can see is that it's a shadow, right? Pointing to the good things to come, pointing to the work of Christ and what it is that he did do. But whenever I look at it through the lens of me, it's all about earning and showing God why I'm worth it. And the reality is Christianity is not about working to be a better person. It's about Jesus. It's not about trying to prove something to God about how good I am. It's about Jesus. It's not about building and having good virtue in our lives or a better moral framework to make good decisions or instilling good values in our kids or or winning this country back or having a good society. Those things are all secondary. Christianity is about the work and the personhood of Christ and following him. It's about everything that Jesus has done. And the reality is, friends, Jesus did it all. God didn't send Jesus. Jesus didn't come down in order to just do the things that I can't do. In order to just do the things that I'm not capable of doing. In order to take the the, the part of it that, that I know that I can't carry he's like, I got this end. You're good over there. Jesus did it all. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we give him everything, and God looks at our righteousness and he calls me by my name, but he looks at our righteousness, he doesn't see 40% Mike and 60% Jesus. He doesn't see 90% Mike and 10% Jesus. It doesn't work that way. I have no claim to any of this. This is all about Jesus and what he did and how he did it and how all of those things, that shadow of the sacrificial system in the law has all been fulfilled through Christ. There's no need to bring another sacrifice or to try to make up for something in the past or in the last year or whatever it is. Friends, that's why last week we celebrate communion and there's a table that we are invited to and not an altar for sacrifice. We're not walking in here again with bowls and doves and grain and perfume and whatever it is that's outlined in the old covenant because the new covenant is here and Christ has established it. And so I don't know 
what it is that you're carrying or if you're carrying any of it. But the author of Hebrews wants you to know that you can trust in the work of Christ and that it's done. He wants you to know that he did it all with a single sacrifice. And he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So I'm going to invite the team back up. And just ask the question, what is it that you're maybe still trying to earn? What is it that you're still trying to prove? What's that, that thing that still keeps you up at night that you're still afraid that maybe God can't cover and so you're trying to make up for it? Because Jesus paid it all for you. 